Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey there, it's Jordan Hoffman, host of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And you can join me and all the Trekkies, Trekkers, and Trek-curious at Star Trek Mission New York this Labor Day weekend, September 2nd through the 4th, 2016. Head over to cbs.com forward slash Star Trek and enter for your chance to win a trip to New York City and tickets to one of the top Star Trek events in the galaxy. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise, Enterprise. This is Captain John Luke Picard. Captain Captain Jane. Captain Cisco. Full right torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host Jordan Hoffman. That sir is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. And we're back. Hey, and we're here. Oh man, this is going to be a really fun episode of. Uh, Engage. Engage. Official, wait, I haven't introduced you yet. You, oh, okay. We have a special guest um, because we are pre-gaming right now. We're at the Emerald Inn on West 72nd Street in Manhattan. Uh, we're about to go to the IMAX Theater on West 68th, to, so that's four blocks away, uh, to see uh, the Star Trek Marathon. We're going to see Star Trek 09, Star Trek Into Darkness, and then for the first time in public... The first public screenings of Star Trek Beyond, and I have a guest with me, a mystery man. Whoa. We're calling him only by one name, and that name is Frito. You can, you can call me by other names. I'm going to call you Frito. There are people who have called me names that I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> We're, we've got Frito on the show today, P-H-R-I-E-D-O. Or, uh, so, something like that. Or is it F-R-I-E? D- D-O. That's, that's, you can find me on the Twitters on that name. Okay. F-R-I-E-D-O. Frito at Frito.org. Um, 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 dot com. I'm, I'm a profitable business. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Frito, you're wondering? Frito is a Star Trek fan. I found him. There's one of them here in New York City. Frito is a Star Trek fan, and he is going to be my, my partner in crime for this afternoon into this evening as we watch these three movies in a row. Let me ask you, Frito, when did yeah. you first become a Star Trek fan? I became a Star Trek fan uh, because my father was a science fiction fan, and he was a big fan of the original series. I was born in 1981, so TNG came around, I think, 1988, right? 87. 87 really. uh, All yeah. right, so yeah, so I'm like six, seven years old. Um, and, uh, and so my dad and I, Saturday nights, it was syndicated WPIX here in New York, and we would watch Star Trek The Next Generation. 
Um, and that was a, a very uh, nice bonding kind of ritual that we had. Um, and, uh, and we would also watch re reruns of the original series and so on. And, um, you know, he loved science fiction ever since he was a kid. He introduced me to, you know, authors like Heinlein and Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. And uh, so this is something that we really had in common. And then uh, Deep Space Nine came along in 92, 93, around there sometime. Yeah, sometime. Um, and then and then Voyager finished up sometime. I guess I was in like my early twenties. And you Voyager were loving that up. all. And then Enterprise. Came and I was loving that all. I I like Enterprise. Fine, <laughs> I like Enterprise too. I'm, I'm Enterprise. not I'm not in love with Enterprise, yeah. but it's it has its moments. Um, but we were I, you just know, talking before we started right. recording. You were you were shoveling shoveling shit about Enterprise. Right, but I'm were... I'm I'm being polite because we're we're on the air now. <laughs> Um, so here, how does Star Trek manifest itself in your day-to-day? -day? Is there a day that goes by that you don't think about Star Trek in some capacity? A day that I don't think about... Uh, there's always moments from Star Trek that are popping into my, into my mind and always sort of little character details, um, especially, especially when I'm working and I'm, I'm a software engineer, so I'm constantly trying to figure... Right, like I said, you're a Star Trek fan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm constantly trying to figure out problems and... You know, often there's, you know, some Scotty or Geordie line will pop into my head or something like that. Um, there are days, sadly, when I don't get to watch Star Trek. Um, but it's, it is always in, in kind of the back of my mind, the way a lot of things are, because it was such a big part of my childhood. Has anything, um, was there a moment where you realized that your fandom for this property was above and beyond other things? Was it when you were reading the novels or when you were collecting? Did you, did you collect Star Trek things? Or, I, uh, I don't really have any Star Trek things. I have read a very large number of Star Trek books. Um, I think one moment I remember I was around... I think maybe 12 or 13, and one of the, um, one of the next generation um, like technical manuals came out. I think it was like Mike, like Mike Okuda wrote like the, the Enterprise technical manual mm. or something like that. Um, and, and my dad saw it and picked it up, and I remember spending the entire weekend just reading every page awesome. of that. And you know, at the time, and you know, at the time, I'm thinking kind of two things at once. I'm like, one, this is awesome, and oh, that's how that works, and that makes any sense. And at the other time, I'm thinking, wow, these guys put a lot of effort into making all of this up. You know, this is, you know, it's one thing to have an actual spaceship and write the manual for it, but they, they made this up. And well, they, just in case, just in case. Justin, you know, you know. It does start working. They got to come right. back. Yeah. And, and, you know, just in case, um, you know, Galaxy Quest is a real thing. You have to have the technical manual there. Um, but I remember being kind of amazed by that and thinking, like, how cool would it be if that was your job? If it was, you know, yeah. if it was your job to invent a fictional spaceship and, and say, you know, well, here's, here's how warp travel might work. Yeah. Um, then, and I remember thinking that was very cool. And that, that was sort of um, one of the many formative things that got me really interested in technology and computers and learning how to, how to write software and program and, and do math and, and all of that sort it of stuff. It made you the Frito that you are today. It, de it was definitely one of the principal ingredients <laughs> in the Frito stew. Awesome. Well, listen, so we're going to head over in a little bit uh, to the theater. We're having a few uh, um, so, uh, Romulan ales. A few Romulan ales beforehand, even though it's the middle of the day. Some spring wine, maybe. <clears throat> the first show starts at 4.30. Uh, we're going to kick right into Star Trek 09, as they call it. And i got to say, I've seen this movie a lot of times. Yeah. I saw it maybe five times in the theater. Actually, it might have been six and then I've seen it many times on, on Blu-ray since. 
but it's been a while. Um, and I, I, I love it to pieces, even though, even though it doesn't, if you haven't read the tie-in comics, it doesn't make sense about where Nero was for 20 years. Right. But. And I, I have not read those comics, so maybe oh, you, so you can still explain don't know. to me. I don't. He was on, he was on uh, Repente. Oh, okay. I think I heard that, but I, <laughs> I, I read that somewhere, but I, I haven't read I think I might have told you. I would have screamed it, it at you in a drunken rage one it, night. That could very well be. All right. Well, listen. So we're gonna we're gonna watch. Um, we're gonna head over to theater, um, and then and then we're gonna kick it off with uh, the way they're doing it at this marathon all across the North America. Um, is at 4:30 p.m. Uh, there's the 09, and then there's about a half hour break, just enough time to go and run and buy some milk duds. We're gonna go to the store and not pay the the prices at AMC theaters. Right. It's ridiculous the prices there. So we're going to sneak in some junior mints or milk duds or hey, whatever floats your boat, man. What about what about like a like a you know what I like it is the they're not juji fruits. They're called dots. Do you know dots? Yeah, I know dots. Dots are they're terrible for your teeth, but they're pretty good. Uh, yeah. I think and they're not as bad for you as uh, milk duds. I mean, it's basically pure sugar, but Yeah, but it's I think the fat content is a little lower. Maybe we could get some <laughs> some replicated dots with artificial sweeteners. I don't know. Maybe get a box of dots and um, this is this is what your fans want. By the oh, way, yeah, I'm is, sorry. Is deliberations over candy. Uh, don't you know, apologize because this is fascinating. <laughs> I forgot that I was. This recording. is the best part of the, the I was whole just conversation. Totally in my own head. Should I get dots or should I get junior mints? Are we going to get something? And then. Um, we're going to take a break, and then we got to face facts here. I, I've already seen Star Trek Beyond. You have right. not. I have not. I've seen it. I like it a lot. I love it. I, I don't love every moment of it, but I love it. Okay. But we do have to face facts that we are going to be seeing, for the first time in a long time, Star Trek Into Darkness together. Right. Which you like more than me. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not my favorite thing, but I, I, have, <laughs> I have defended aspects of it in, in the way that I've defended aspects of Star Trek V. Um, Star Trek... I, I love yes start, yes yes I, I'm with you there okay cool so we're gonna see <laughs> see you back in a little bit and we'll take it from there engage okay. <laughs> Matt Singer let me ask you a question how comfortable are you right now uh, uh, you mean like politically socially I mean in terms of physical comfort in your lower region. I mean, I'm fairly comfortable, but I could always be more comfortable. Let me tell you something. Okay. If you were wise enough, if you had the wisdom of Spock and Surak and the guts of Worf to make it so, I just mixed so many Star Trek metaphors there, you would change whatever undergarments you're wearing right now in front of me to Mac Weldon underwear. Uh Aha. Do you know about Mac Weldon underwear? I've heard about it on your podcast. (laughs) Well, I'll say this about it. Okay. It costs a little bit more than regular underwear. There's a butt coming. There's and a not butt. not just in the underwear, I can tell. <laughs> it does cost a little bit more. But you know what they say? You get what you pay for. Uh-huh. And this is the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn. It's silky smooth. I, f- I feel like I am uh, being held aloft by... Uh, by by a cloud. That's wow. how that's how comfortable I am in my underwear right now. You could sit through all of Star Trek: The Motion Picture without getting any sense of discomfort. No, and it's a long film. It, it conforms to your shape, thanks to your underwear. Regardless, and if you are a Star Trek fan like me, your shape could be on the larger size, and it'll still it'll still conform to your shape. And Mac Weldon. 
has a line of underwear, and I swear this is true, called the Silver Line. And it is made with these advanced uh, microbes that contain odor within them. I'm not saying that you have this issue. I hope you're not. And if you did, that's fine. IDIC, I welcome all sorts of individuals that have uh, different capabilities in their person. So if you are someone who has a, an issue with uh, with odor that could sometimes cause uh, awkward social situations, what you need to do is wear Mack Weldon's silver underwear because it will, and I'm not joking, like the Enterprise's deflector shields themselves, contain create a barrier between your stink and the outside world. It's true. Brian, it's true, right? It's very true. I mean, we have been sitting here for a while, and I don't smell anything. So, Matt, and you can thank... And that's not always true with you, Jordan. Let's no, be honest. It can sometimes be a revolting thing to be in a small room with me for a period of time. And this is a delight. This is a delight, and we are... We're not in a big room. There's a small room. It's where, not well ventilated. It's not well ventilated. You can thank our friends at MacWeldon. So go to MacWeldon.com. I appreciate what they've done for your life. Use the passcode ENGAGE, and you're going to get 20% off. Hey, now. Matt, do you know what they say about 20% off? It's twice as much as 10% off? It's still 80% on, actually. But, no, no, it's you're right. It's more than, it's it's still a significant uh, percentage off. Go to Mac Weldon, check it out. You're going to love it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. And we're back. How about that? We are here at the 68th Street AMC Theaters, and my shoe, the bottom of my left foot is covered in gum. It's that's disgusting. that's part of the 3D experience. <laughs> I think they call that 4D. <laughs> well, listen, we were hoping that we would talk in between each film, but they botched the timing. So Star Trek 09 pretty much went straight into Star Trek Into Darkness. So uh, there was a moment of elation that I had after the first film because I love that movie so much. I think it's a miracle how it all worked out. And uh, and then we went right into Star Trek Into Darkness. But before we talk about Star Trek Into Darkness, I do want to say it's funny. Now that it's been years, it's been seven years since right. 2009. It, it, it's almost funny. There was a moment. Like, it's amazing to think what this movie could have been. Oh, it could have been a disaster. Right. It, really, they it, very, it very easily could have been a disaster. Yeah, the way they blended... Uh, you know the the real timeline, the prime timeline, and the Kelvin timeline, and the way they, the casting of all the characters, the way they, uh, you know, sort of rhymed with canon, as they used to say. It, it really is a miracle of modern franchise building. It, I don't think anybody's ever done it better, and anybody ever will. My initial reaction, and I think my feelings have softened in the near decade since the original release, uh, was that I found the time paradox introduction of the new universe to be uh, unnecessary and annoying. And my, I always said, if you're going to reboot the franchise, just do a reboot like everybody else does. You don't have to come up with a temporal paradox. Do you still feel that way? Uh, I don't feel that way anymore. Because? Um, so I think, I think my, my feelings about it were reactionary at first. And the reason I don't feel that way anymore is because introducing that timeline allows you to carry over small elements from the prime universe like our friend Mr. Spock. That's that's the that's the brilliant move. That's right. the move that and and so I, I now I now see that for the uh, the genius that it was and I I, I appreciate Star Trek 09 a lot more having uh, seen it again cuz I haven't seen it in at least 
four or five years, I think. That's a while, yeah. Because um, I, I saw it a, a couple times when it was out, and I watched it on uh, on demand or something once or twice. But it's been a while, and uh, so I think I appreciate it more upon this viewing than I did when I originally saw it. I'll tell you one thing that's uh, funny: if you sit as we are sitting on the on the fourth row. Of the IMAX screen, yeah, it's gonna give you a little bit of a headache. I I screwed up. I specifically wanted to sit in the back, and when we right. pre-ordered the tickets, but I was looking at it backwards. So You're I looking thought, at the diagram backwards. I was looking at the diagram backwards. So I accidentally have to apologize to 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 you because I I put us up front, but it, but it all ultimately worked out. There were a couple things that I never noticed that I noticed tonight watching Star Trek 09. Number okay. one. Tell me if I'm wrong, because you're you're a smart guy. Well, the only <laughs> the only reason that the Enterprise survived the the attack at Vulcan when uh, Nero's uh, ship destroyed the rest of the Armada, right, was because they got there one or two minutes late. Yes, and it's a double whammy. It was that initially you think it's because Kirk's running around, he gets to Pike, and Ohura backs him up and says, "No, no, no, we know there's going to be." Uh, uh, no, uh, there's going right. to be attacks, so let's get into battle they, formation. Right, and they basically get there by the time the battle is over. Right, right. But also, they, their guard is up, literally. Like yeah. she, He says, shields up, red alert, and then they get into battle and they take evasive maneuvers. In the 17 times I've watched it, I've always attributed to their safety due to the fact that Kirk hears lightning storm in space. He races up there to horror gets his back. There's something else to it. Uh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. This is what I noticed tonight for the first time. The real reason they survived is because Sulu screws Screw up. up. Yeah, <laughs> he's got the parking brake on. Right. No, if Sulu, maybe. So people have noticed this before, and I'm just a right. schmuck for never having noticed it. But I get see, I get so overwhelmed in the story. I'm so yeah. in the moment. I'm such at at warp speed with the story that I didn't realize. Had Sulu not screwed up, there's no way they would have survived that ambush. Yeah, well, they still would have been going in hot with their shields up and everything, so they might have gotten through it, but probably not. There would have been more casualties. Yeah. So Sulu's error, because Sulu's pretty, he redeems himself very quickly right. on, on the drill, you know, in, with, his, with his sword and everything. It's a great moment, and he's terrific in the rest of the movie, and he's great in Into Darkness also in the, in the few scenes he has. So I don't want to I don't want to you know paint him as if he's some sort of uh, bad you know helmsman, but he he does make an, a key error, but it's it's fortuitous and it ties into the theme of the time paradox plot as well, which is that you know your your future is what it's going to be, and you can't second guess yourself and and try to affect things based on knowledge you have. Things are just going to work how they're going to work. I like that. And it's, it's a thematic moment of fur that sort of ties the whole thing together. Something else I thought about. That might have been extraordinarily pretentious, but I don't think so. <laughs> Something else that's probably pretty obvious. It was probably obvious to people who watched this movie that weren't Star Trek fans. Um, when you see Kirk doing the Kobayashi Maru... Yeah. To us, who know the Kobayashi Maru from, from Star Trek II, we know that he's going to cheat, and it's in his nature to not accept the, the no-win scenario. Right. What I thought about tonight for the first time is his motivation is twofold. It's not just the typical Kirk um, swagger. He's really, in a way, trying to one-up the ghost of his dead father. 
because his father faced something of a Kobayashi Maru scenario on the right. Kelvin. It, it was a no-win scenario. Right. And he... Um, and Spock even says it's a no-win scenario when he references Kirk's father at his Inquisition. Right, right. But there's a little bit of, I think, anger in Chris Pine's performance in that, in addition to the usual I'm the cock of the walk, a right. little bit of anger, and I think that's him angry at his father. There's a, a lot of anger in the Abrams version of the franchise, because it's in Spock, too, Yes, regarding the way he was treated as a, as a halfling in, in, in his uh, childhood. And um, there's, there's a lot of really intense motivation that I don't think you get with the, uh, the original Roddenberry characters. Um, I think, yeah, I think the source material is all there, but they, they, they spice it right. up considerably. Right. It's come, everything, everything about the source material is coming from a somewhat darker place than we're used to with Star Trek. And I think, I think that fact is uh, among the things that informed my initial reaction in 2009 when I started seeing this and started saying, this is really not the Star Trek I know. Mm. And, and these, these are not the uh, 23rd century humans that I've come to, to know and respect. These guys are kind of jerks. And, uh, and I think that initial backlash is, is somewhat justified, but I think overall as a film, if you're judging it on its own merits, is as its own little thing, um, it is a good film. And uh, it's a fun story, and it's an enjoyable story, and it has a good resolution. Um, but I understand how people who have been invested in that vision of the future for 45 years, or whatever it was at the time, could be put off by that. A little bit, but yes, I agree. And certainly there are plenty of fans who don't want to you know, look at the Kelvin timeline at all. Right. You could say these are the characters as they're younger. By the time we got to see Kirk, it's where he is. They're very young. And, of course, you know, there is the inherent ridiculousness of, you know, a 20-year-old cadet suddenly becomes <laughs> captain of the flagship of the fleet. Well, But, yes. you know, I'm willing to give him a pass on that so, because you, you got to put the, the pretty guy in the chair. Right, right, right. Hey, when, when Nero's sending the drill down to Vulcan, right. why doesn't... It doesn't Vulcan have any sort of defense fleet that they can shoot that drill? Probably, but they were probably annihilated because that's a Romulan ship from like 100 years in the future. Oh, so if they came, they would have been zapped. Right. They, yeah, because the Enterprise got there, I assume, after Nero destroyed Vulcan's defenses. Uh, you're so wise. You're and, so wise. and Starfleet was, was off somewhere. I forgot where. But they were they supposed were to the run. They were in some other sector, the right. Tellurian yeah. sector. That's, well, that was why the cadets were, were called they up. They needed to get called They were the yet. closest to Vulcan. Well, that's always happens. We're the only ship in the quadrant, right? right? Yeah. You know, my favorite thing about Star Trek 09 is that the very first thing you hear after the music, you see the, the two logos. Right. And then you see what just looks like a blur of color. Yeah. You know, it looks, and it's the ship upside down because we're right. coming in a weird angle. It's like a Mark Rothko painting or something. <laughs> And then you just hear the sound effects. And it's 97% the original series sound effects right, with a yeah. little bit of a tweak to it. Yeah, the little bings and bongs yeah. and, and all that great They're stuff. They're all over. They're all in the sound design. And that's such a smart move. It's so great. It's very reassuring to me. I mean, I used to watch the reruns of the original series at midnight when I was supposed to be asleep. If it was a boring episode like Alternative Factor, I would fall right. asleep <laughs> during it. And it would lead me off to the land of nods. So it's really... Very reassuring, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, that was one of the things that I, I didn't really remember from my pre prior time seeing it. And then 
tonight it was one of the things I sort of really noticed and appreciated um, and and you get it's it's way intense in the first minute but you get tastes of it throughout the whole film um, the sound effects and uh, and the music is just dynamite the really mu- and in Star Trek 09, the music is is fantastic. I have some complaints about Into Darkness. Oh, really? Music. Oh, yeah. okay. I want to hear we'll, that. We'll, we'll get to that. Well, later. I think we can. So so we saw the first one, and I was elated. I was on a high. Oh, and I explained to you, we had just enough time to go to the bathroom and came back. Right. And I explained to you what Nero was doing for 25 years. Yes. So if you um, haven't read the tie-in comics or watched all the d- uh, deleted scenes... He was on Rurapente on this time on, on this version's the Kelvin uh, timeline. Kel- the Kelvin timelines. <laughs> yeah. Is that what we're calling it? Yes, it's, I, it's, it's called the Kelvin timeline. Because I've been calling it the Abrams verse. No, no, that's we can't call it that anymore. It's no longer called as of a few weeks ago. Okay, this is this ago. is official. It's official. It's official, man. All right, pay attention. This is official. All right. So, <laughs> by the way, I should let you know we're kind of in the back of the theater, like. There's a secret. If you ever go to the 68th Street IMAX Theater in Manhattan, there's a secret bathroom that nobody knows about, and that's where we are right now. Well, we're not. We're not in the bathroom. No, no, we're not in the bathroom. We're near the bathroom. We're near the garbage cans. Actually, we're not recording the podcast in front of a. No, we're in front of a bunch of garbage cans where we belong. So um, the um, uh, yeah, yeah. So 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 Nero was on Rurapente, and then there's other things in the comics. Where uh, the ship, the the Narada, right, was um, had Borg had got amplified Borg technology. And this, is, this is Nero's mining ship, the Narada. Correct, correct. And Spock's groovy little ship, which we call the Jellyfish, right, was designed uh, a combination of the Vulcan um, uh, Science Academy with uh, Jordi LaForge. Mister LaForge. Yeah, it's such a cool ship. I mean, there's a lot of really cool visual stuff in this film. That is above and beyond, and that ship is one of them. It's really nifty the way yeah. it zips around, and that thing is kind of kind of spiffy. And you know, when the chair is angled in a certain way with the window, it looks like the IDIC logo. Oh, I didn't notice that. I'm ninety-seven percent certain that that is not it, a coincidence. You think is that real, or are you just hallucinating? I am going to do some research, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that okay. I mean, that's that's a close. that's a cool little Easter egg I didn't know about. Yeah, well they, they don't I didn't celeb- see that. they don't celebrate Easter and Vulcan, but they oh, okay. ce- whatever they do celebrate uh, it's a Kazwan <laughs> egg. So then we went to the restaurant. I was going to say it's a Ponfar <laughs> egg. <laughs> those eggs are pretty 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 those good. Are, those are great eggs. So then we came back and Star Trek in the Darkness, and I have said time and again that I have misgivings about this film, but I got to say. When you know what you're getting into, and if you're lucky enough to see it projected right. in IMAX, it's actually pretty good. All right, so here's here's my reaction to this. Now, I know a lot of people really don't like Star Trek Into Darkness. Now, I remember having seen this movie, and I saw it right here at this IMAX theater when it came out originally, and this was still coming off my somewhat cold feelings about Star Trek 09, which I liked, but I, just, I didn't think it was great for the reasons we talked about. Um, and my reaction after seeing Star Trek Into Darkness was, okay, J.J. Abrams has redeemed himself. We're backwards. It's like you're Lokai and I'm Bailey. We're right. totally no, reverse and I, of and each I, other. And I know, because I know you don't like Into Darkness Well, I've changed a little bit tonight. Um, but I think but. Into Darkness is a fantastic action-adventure film. It's, there's, it's fun as hell. There's not a dull moment in it. Um, the Well, and we'll, since we're talking about it now... Uh, I'll talk about my complaints are primarily about the Star Trek aesthetic. 
Um, which Go is on. that okay? Which is that Star Trek Into Darkness does not really look or sound like a Star Trek film. I'll give you an example. In the first five minutes, we meet the uh, the guy who works for Section Thirty One, whose daughter is sick. I forgot yes, his name. I forget it too. And Khan's gonna come and, and give him the blood serum to cure his daughter. Um, and when we meet this guy, you know, he's like. He's taking a train to uh, to the kid's hospital, right, yes. to, to visit her. And, you know, there's this little, like, tinkly piano score in the background. And in the entire history of Star Trek television and films, there's never once been a piano. <laughs> because it's space opera. You score it with a symphony I orchestra. Think Tre- I think Trelane played the piano on yeah, that. But that's all right. That's, that's, not, really, that's not really a, a okay. score, though. Fair enough. But I'm, I and and I didn't really notice this the first time I saw it. But since I'd seen it a couple times, I'm now sort of paying attention to that, that sort of stuff. Since I know it's going to happen, and I'm thinking, you know, this is this Forrest Gump or is it Star Trek? Because I remember just hearing this little dinky piano theme, and then the piano comes back in the moment when uh, when Kirk has radiation poisoning and he's dying, mm. and there's this little dinkly little piano theme again, and then and you know it gets orchestral again later. And I remember thinking about that. That is the most un-Star Trek uh, music score that I've that I've uh, that I think I've ever heard. And I don't know why it bugged me so much, but it kind of took me out of it. And then we were also talking about the um, the visual assault of the lens flare issue. Yeah, it's a little. I I don't. There certainly is a lot of lens flare in the first one. I think it's right. kind of groovy. I think. They they needed to reel it in on the second one. It was a little right. too much. And so I so and we talked about this a little bit before. But so watching, rewatching the first one because I remember I, everybody was complaining about this. Yeah. Everybody on all the nerds on the interwebs anyway. <laughs> and so I remember watching the first one and I'm noticing them, but they're not really that intense. And I was thinking, did they like for the re-release? Did they tone it down on the actual print? But then once uh, Kirk and Scotty get back to the Enterprise, that's when you're really assaulted with it. And I was like, oh, okay. There's that, that angry cop shining a flashlight in my face for an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's, then, a little, it's a little much at the end of the first it's one. A it's little, certainly much yeah, in the second Yeah, it's a little one. much. And then, and then sec- because the second one takes place mostly on the Enterprise, which is where most of those lens flares uh, are in, in the Abrams aesthetic, it's a, it's a little more... Um, and that on an IMAX screen filling your entire field of vision <laughs> is a little really aggravating. Funny. I mean, I always liked his explanation for it. He said the future was so bright. Right. And, you know, there was also so much happening in the future that you couldn't see every corner of the frame. Like, yeah. That's why in the first movie, you never see the Enterprise. Um, if the, the, something in the Enterprise is always a little bit cut off. Either the right. Back you ne- of the you never cells. see the whole thing. Yeah. Right. There's no, the second there's one no you glamour do. shot. Um, well, there are glamour shots, but they're very poised and, they're, and, and right. they're, stylized. They're close-ups. <laughs> exactly, they're close-ups. <laughs> I'm ready for my close-up now. You know, it was funny. Seeing the two movies back-to-back with just a few minutes in between, it, it's funny that there are some moments of just Xerox copy, like right. the, the, the space dive to the drill <laughs> and then the shooting across to the I other ship. I noticed there's a, uh, a continuing theme of ropes that break. <laughs> so, right, the first one, Kirk is on the drill, and then he jumps off and redeploys his chute and the rope breaks and his yeah. parachute goes away. And then in the second one, there's um, I forgot where it is, but there's another rope that breaks and somebody falls in a hole or something. I mean, it, it, is, it is funny that in the second one, um, there's, a, there's an allusion to it. It's like, I've done, done this right. sort of thing before. And it's, it's kind of a joke. I, and then also the, the ending is 
basically we need a big blast to get away from the thing right. and the music swells and it's pretty much the same yeah. music cue. Yeah. I appreciated in the second one that there were more nods to the the historical elements in Star Trek. Like we get a there's a mention of like Christine Chapel and there's right. a mention yeah. of Mud's planet. And, and the Gorn. He's like I And the Gorn he says which is, which that, doesn't make sense because they haven't met the Gorn yet. Uh, that's right. not necessarily true. This is right. the, this is the genius of the original online film that everything after the destruction of the Kelvin right, means right. that everything's um, different. Yeah, anything could be different. So maybe they met the Gorn earlier, and maybe the Gorn are good guys now. Okay, the Gorn always were potentially good. It's just that right. They, they, well, they were put in an unfortunate situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All so right. so now the Gorn, the line is Bones says, "I, I once delivered a, 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 a uh, emergency C-section on a pregnant C-section Gorn." On a pregnant Gorn. <laughs> but the Gorn are lizards, and lizards lay eggs. That's why it was an emergency. Oh, okay. You know, um, the the um, the uh, the and there was uh, the the other thing that's sort of like just just watching them back to back is, um, and this is sort of a there's two big problems that I have with Inner Darkness is that the first movie kind of revs up, yeah, where the characters are, and then when the second movie. All the momentum kind of moves back a little bit, and then it revs up right. again. Yeah, and because Kirk gets busted down, and then you know they have to kill Pike so he can get busted up again, right, which exactly. is what happened the first time around. Right, and it's killing me that I can't talk about the third movie yet. You're about to see it for the first time in That's just right. a few minutes, but uh, Jordan has the secret knowledge. I'm biting my tongue. Now, the other thing that bothers me about Into Darkness is is, and it's right there in the word darkness. I think that it was a misstep to make the film about uh, false flags and uh, just a very... Okay. I, I just don't like the premise of the film that right. much. I had completely forgotten that Section 31 shows up in Into mm. Darkness because uh, I remember the plot, you know, because there's, there's always a corrupt admiral. Admirals in Star Trek are always jerks. <laughs> right. um, but I had well, for, forgotten that, that it, was a sec- it was just She was just tough. Yeah, yeah. All right. But I had forgotten that it was actually a Section 31 plot and that's the first time, that's the only time Section 31... Uh, has been seen with the the TOS characters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that the 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 movie itself is, I think, a little bit unnecessarily confusing because there's a lot of there's two bad guys. There's Khan and there's John Harriman and, and John Harrison, and then he's Khan and right. There's that whole debacle, which I think was was. Not the smartest. You just would have called him Khan from the start. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just, you know. Well, on the other hand, but it's a, that's a, a good reveal. It's a surprise that it he's Khan. It should be. It should be. But, but of course, cares. everybody knew Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch I've, was Khan. Every time I've seen this movie in the theater, nobody has ever but, blinked. Right. It, but the know. the intent was that that was going to be a surprise yeah, reveal. I and think. it didn't really work. But yeah. then the other thing is, you know, so you have Peter Weller's Admiral Marcus is the baddie, and Khan is the baddie. You don't really understand what their schemes are. It's very confusing. You have the torpedoes with bodies in it. There's a right. lot of plot, it's, and it's, uh, it does make sense. I think right. if you really study, if you shut off all the lights and get in your room and really yeah, think. No, I think I don't. I didn't have problems with the the plot or the the motive. And well, of course, but I have all the background knowledge of having, you know, seen Wrath of Khan and and knowing about the the augments and and all that. Yeah, nonsense. if you're new to this, I don't think um, that's going to work. If you're new to it, the exposition I think is a little thin. But you know, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you can't you can't you know um, thicken out that exposition without annoying everybody else. And, right, and, right, right. And and you'd have to slow down the whole film, and it's a fast film. 
Um, right, there are only a few a few talky bits in there. And, yeah. and speaking of which, and that brings me to another complaint, which is not unique to the Abrams Star Trek films, but is a very common complaint with kind of action-adventure films of the last, let's say maybe decade, decade and a half, which is that the action is cut so fast and with so much shaky cam and yeah. all, all the Dutch yeah. angles in Holland that it makes, <laughs> it makes action scenes sometimes... Uh, incoherent, and you're not sure who you can't even tell who's punching sometimes, right? And I think or they, who's getting punched, and that, and I understand the reason why they do it to kind of amp up the energy of the scene. But if you can't actually follow the story of the fight, and because a fight scene is like a little mini movie in itself, sure, yeah. Um, and if you can't actually follow the story of the fight, and especially on something like IMAX where it's really in your face and loud and taking up your entire field of vision. Uh, it makes it difficult to to follow, and I have think, that complaint think, about a lot of movies. I think, by and large, the Abrams does a good job with it. I think it was or? it was it was it's it's a lot better than movies I've seen. Abrams doesn't go overboard with it, and I've seen movies go really overboard. But it was still more than I would have liked to have seen. I would have I would have liked to see less uh, less shaky cam and less super intense cuts. You know, I can't, take, I, take a take a cue from Stanley Kubrick. Just do <laughs> one camera on a tripod with a candle. I, I can't wait to return to this very topic after you've seen Star Trek Beyond. Because okay. there are some changes, um, some for the good, some for the bad. We'll right. see. Um, but, but just getting back a, a, a moment to the to the the plot. The, the the I do think that there is sort of like a pretzel logic plot to Into Darkness, mm-hmm. and it does. There's a lot of like nastiness to it. I mean, the name of the ship is called Vengeance, and there's two right. moments. Two moments in the film where two of our beloved characters, characters are just overtaken by vengeance. Right. And Pike dies. Kirk is ready to let mm-hmm. Scotty quit because he just wants to kill, kill, kill. Right. And, and eventually Spock does talk him out of it, but he almost right. doesn't. And then later, when and Kirk re- dies, Spock is ready to just kill, kill, right. kill. Well, remember, he- before that, there's also Kirk, when they're on Kronos, is beating the hell out of Khan after he's taken into custody. Ah, after, that's all right. That after he, after he surre- I, you know, I understand, you know, yeah, this is, this is for know. Pike, here's one yeah. punch. But he goes after the well, guy. Well, because he doesn't fall down. He doesn't fall down. Right. It's his own damn fault. And then Spock's just sort of standing there, and it's, and it's Uhura who says, uh, Captain, calm down. Take it easy, buddy. You know, it's funny. It struck me today. Uhura and Kirk really have an interesting relationship. Yeah. Obviously, they met. He was trying to pick her up in a bar. But right. they, there is a lot of respect between the two of them. I mean, oh, yeah. there, prop, there may be some people who feel that, that he doesn't respect her or there's weird vibes. But I think it's in there in the writing and the character. The actors do a really good job of riding that fine line of where they can be. I uh, love, you know what like it is? Very real with one another, right. although they are professional. I love Kirk as the third wheel. Oh, those scenes are great. You know, so uh, Spock and Uhura arguing in the little pod, and Kirk is supposed to be in command, and yes. it's just sort of, <laughs> sort of there. And you know, Kirk's reaction when they're having an argument is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, you know, th- that's exactly the type it's, of scene. And it's a, it's a great scene because now he's in, he's the commanding officer of this sh- of this flagship. You know, at the at the age of twelve, and now he's in he's in a situation where he's not in control. And he can't really do anything. Those are, just, the, those and are the And that's scenes. fantastic. Those, and it's a great fuel for comedy. Yeah, and th- those are the scenes that I think do really well in Into Darkness that are undercut by Admiral Marcus and sort of this weird conspiracy theory, false right. flag stuff. And, and again, I'm very excited to speak to you after you see Star Trek Beyond okay. because it's relevant to what we're talking about. Okay, yeah, and I don't know if Marcus's motivation is really... I don't know if I buy it 
Um, because it's we, all twisted and weird. And then the movie right. ends with that dedicated to the to the fallen of, of September 11th, which I which you know is a nice gesture, but it's a weird thing for a it's movie a weird made th- so long later. And yeah, I was. 2013 it's something it's very strange and it, and it's like not a one-to-one connect like the only was, person who was making the connection was the i think this was robert orsi it was kind of his okay thing and uh, yeah, very i don't know well that, the, the, the good news is this weird <laughs> the good news is this i come away from this screening today i already loved 09 you were mixed on it and now it seems like you like it more you already loved right. into darkness and yeah. i was kind of Meh on it, and yeah. I still have some real misgivings, but I like it a lot more as of tonight. Okay, good. So I was correct. <laughs> That's all we needed to know. Yep. All right, so listen. So we're gonna ta- we're gonna take a pause now, and we're gonna go watch Star Trek Beyond. Right, we have to do one thing really quickly before we go into Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, what's that? I need to know who would win in a fight between the Gorn Captain and uh, Armis, the oil monster who eats Tasha Yar. Now, keep in mind, well, this, Armis is basically a pile of goo. Yeah, he's a hefty he, bag. He's but he has fearsome telekinetic powers. Well, that's the thing. And the Gorn is a giant lizard. Yeah, if his telekinetic powers are, are primed, then the Gorn is toast. Keep in mind, a, a didgeridoo with rocks killed the Gorn, you know, or at least knocked him down. So the Gorn, although a great guy, right. is to, Armis, the hefty bag, is going to destroy him. Okay, I think that's a, a reasonable and sound analysis. Unless the Gorn takes him by surprise. Okay. If he has the element of surprise, then 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 Armis is a shredded hefty bag. But what would the Gorn do? I mean, you can't just... Bite him. <laughs> you can't, but they... Because they tried firing phasers at Armis, right? You can't punch him because he's liquid. He would take him from behind and bite him and like at his jugular vein. He would come from behind and just like rip him to shreds. But he, he's goo. He doesn't have a jugular vein. He must have some circulatory system I, keeping his goo intact. I guess. I don't know. He's... Um, and that voice. He has the funniest voice. I love, who did that voice? Do you know? I don't know. I, we, I wish I knew. That up. All I, right. <laughs> we have to go to Star Trek Beyond, right, but ha- real quick, hold on. Yeah, and in 3D also. Three-way fight between uh, original series Spock, Data, and Seven of Nine. <laughs> um, this is a tough one, I know. I think Data is stronger. I think he's, he's, he's quite strong, but Vulcans are strong, and Seven's got Borg strength. So they're all, they're all very yeah, strong seen, and Seven combat Nine, ready. Yes, but Seven of Nine has gotten her, her ass whooped a few times. I've seen That's her true. get knocked out. And Spock can get... I'm going with Data. Okay. Also, Data has... Um, he's faster reflexes. That's true. He does have super fast reflexes. Yeah. On the other hand, Seven has uh, her neural Borg implants, which give her spatial acuity uh, and allow her to uh, have perceptual abilities that perhaps data does not have i mean i love that she i do like watching her fight and she has some pretty nifty moves i like her watch her do her anything <laughs> she's you like to watch her in the astrometrics lab doing science that's right right yeah 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 i got it all right well listen um i love talking about seven of nine and we're gonna do some more of that but now it's time to go beyond and this is a treat for me because i um I'm not going to lord it over the 200 people inside that I've seen the movie already. I'm going to keep it to myself. But I'm part of the excitement for me is to see how the audience reacts because I know what's coming up and I'm going to be cool about it. I'm not going to nudge you or not going to poke you and say, watch this scene. But I am going to. Not going to turn and yell, spoiler alert. No, no, I'm not going to say, look what happens next. (laughs) But I am going to see. what the what the audience vibe is and i'm excited to see what i pick up that i didn't notice the first time because i can be a dullard sometimes and not notice something okay case in point not realizing that it was sulu's misstep that saved the day so all right cool so we'll talk to you all again in a few moments 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. And we're back. Oh, my God. I'm exhausted. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's late. It's what like, a wild ride. It's like after midnight now. It's 20 after midnight. Uh, these are these are not short movies. Oh, my God. Having seen Star Trek Beyond twice, I can say this is so much fun. I really love it. And even though if you were just listening, I came away saying, eh, I like Star Trek Into Darkness better than I remember. Two minutes into this, I'm like, oh, this is everything <laughs> that you want Star Trek Into Darkness to be. It's so upbeat. It's so uh, vibrant and alive and jolly and action-packed. But I like the word jolly. That's, <laughs> that, and that is, that is an apt description. So, Frito, I, I didn't even really ask you. We, we just left the movie. We just used the washroom. What did you think of Star Trek Into Beyond? Star Trek uh, Into Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. First, thank you for telling everybody that I just took a leak. <laughs> Second, um, I, I enjoyed it immensely. I think of of the three new era movies, this is uh, by far the best one. Wow, bold, better than the so, first one. Better I than think better than the first one. And but but remember, I thought Into Darkness was better than the first one I know. too. So our, you're crazy on all. Stint. That's true. <laughs> Um, I, I am severely crazy, um, but I, I thought it was great. Um, I don't think it was a perfect film by, by any means, um, and so if, if you're interested, I'll complain a little bit about it. I don't want to hear it, yes. But um, it is a fun, fun ride. I think um, in terms of plotting, it's a little more straightforward than Into Darkness was, and we, we talked a little bit about the... Uh, perhaps unnecessary complexity of that story. Yeah, I feel like number two is so confusing, and this one is almost... To a fault, even really simple. It's right, like, it's it's very it's very he's straightforward. There's there's he's he's bad and he has a, an interesting motivation, which I don't think we have seen really explored before in terms of Star Trek villains. Um, and uh, he's got an interesting background. Yeah, and um, it 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 was really fun. I think the movie definitely does not waste any time. Um, I don't know how. Do you want to get into spoilers on this or? Oh yeah, keep it yeah. Vague? I want, right. We can we can dive. Spoiler right in. alert, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes, yes. But but uh, you know, it, it, what really got me this time was like really noticing the minutia. Like right, you know, the, the uniforms are a little different. He, when he wears his jacket, he's got the little uh, yeah. zipper, and the zipper has. Has the the Starfleet insignia? Oh, that's cool. I didn't I, notice. Well, that. you notice that when you're in the second row. Right. We, yeah, by yeah. the way, we moved from the fourth row. Yes, yeah, so we were to the re- second. We were really close up. Yeah, because there was. And lo- I'll tell you. And I don't think I mentioned it last time. But one of the things that really that bugged me about Into Darkness was uh, was about the uniform. Seeing Starfleet guys with like military style hats parading mm-hmm. around San Francisco. And uh, that was weird. Like, you never see Starfleet guys with a hat with an insignia on it. Hmm. And that was, uh, that was bizarre to me. And, but speaking of which, there's always been this weird conflict. Remember the early seasons of Next Generation, Picard was always like, Starfleet is not a military organization. Right. Yeah. Which, of course, is complete nonsense because, of course, it is. It's just that fighting is not their primary purpose. It's only, it's like karate. You only right. use it when you have to. <laughs> when you have to. Yeah. 
Um, but it's interesting to see, and there, because there have been fan discussions online about this, about, you know, has J.J. Abrams militarized Starfleet perhaps too much? Mm. Um, and the uniforms in Into Darkness kind of irked me for that reason. You know, although they, they still refrained from going as far as having people salute. You never salute, mm. you never see salutes in Starfleet, which is, is interesting. Um, and I like, so I like the uniforms better in this picture. Um, I think they're, they're more Starfleet-ish. Um, and, uh, and visually, I, I really enjoyed what Justin Lin uh, did as compared to into darkness what were some of the i should say by the way we watched this in 3d and right. one, i hate 3d yeah i'm not i'm not the, a big for live the, action i'm i'm not a big fan okay, i do yeah, i do for like shrek it's fine yeah like in pixar stuff in yeah. 3d that's enjoyable okay, because it just makes everything darker it, it makes everything darker also we were we were really close and and 3d has kind of a fatiguing effect uh sometimes like after after 90 minutes my eyes are, are kind of twitching all over the place mm, mm. um and we had three movies in a row yeah three, and and the, <laughs> the first two were in 2d so that was fine sure yeah, sure after an entire day of watching movies yeah a 3d on an imax screen from row two yeah is can be a little like, but, exhausting but, but let's talk a little bit about sort of the visual uh differentiators between the two abrams films and lynn because I'm i curious. i love that Justin Lin is not afraid to do establishing shots. Mm. Um, you look at the Abrams movies, everything, and you mentioned this a little bit, you know, every shot of the Enterprise is kind of a, a close-up. Right. You know, there's, there's really, um, they, they kind of eschew the, the glamour shot of, you know, the big nebula background, and here's the ship. Um, but even so, you look at the, um, at the space station uh, in this in this and beyond, and there's nice establishing shots, you know, showing the city and really sort of yeah, creative yeah. artwork of this. Um, there's a space there's a space station which is on the inside of a, a sphere, so which is uh, cool. I don't think that we've seen that in Star Trek before. No, I no. think we have. I don't. We haven't seen DS9. Of course, was a ring, but that was not. This is it, a, that was a not Dyson a, a sphere. It's like a it's ring world, but a sphere. Right. Um, and it's it's like it's like Rama from Rendezvous with Rama, but like 360 of them because it's yeah. a sphere. Rendezvous with Rama is cool. Um, <laughs> but what I love about this is that the cities are upside down on the side, right. on the ground, which means that and in the very center there's could, a gravitational right. wackiness, which means everybody can fly. Yes. And <laughs> it, that is uh, something that visually could, if you do it wrong, could be very confusing and uh and difficult to understand um but it was done well yeah and it made sense um there are a couple of really nice money shots of when they first get to yorktown of just like swooping around and seeing the citizens right. and it's great in this utopia of like oh here's a here's a businessman beaming it's somewhere the kind and of thing that i that i loved seeing in um in the star wars prequels which are otherwise pretty terrible movies right but are visually gorgeous coruscant is a cool looking place wonderful imaginative artwork and you know you turn the volume down and it's entertaining to look at it (laughs) um and this has the advantage of being both beautiful and a a really good and and fun and this has monorails in it too monorails there's some really cool looking monorails so yeah yorktown i think is a a real win because also it's it's, great it's the cities and it's kind of sleek but then you see the bowels of the of the system and there's water and so one thing I like is in in several Star Trek movies, but including the last two, uh, they managed to completely destroy the Enterprise every time. And uh, in this one, 
we also get that, but like in the first half hour of the movie. Get it over with. Get it over with, <laughs> blow up the ship, and then figure out how you're going to get us out of the situation. What did you think of Krall's swarm ships, the bees, the murmuration? Those were, those were cool. Um, that's definitely, I don't think we, aside from something like the Borg, we've never really seen um, kind of a swarm before. And if you if you looked at the history of the Borg idea in Next Generation, the original idea of the Borg was that they were supposed to be insects. The Borg mm. drones were supposed to be uh, insect-like creatures that had like a swarming behavior, but that was too expensive to do on TNG's budget at sure, the time. Sure. So they made them cybernetic humanoids. And so this is kind of an interesting callback to that idea. Now that you can do anything with computer animation, uh, it's a lot more interesting to see this kind of uh, swarming drone enemy and you think about, you know, every Star Trek battle you've ever seen, you know, it's one ship versus another ship or maybe two other ships. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, in DS9, you got, you know, a fleet over here and a fleet over here. But it's still it's still you're basically looking at, you know, a, a, na- a you know, a Navy war game, but in three dimensions. Right. This, of two. this this allows for a lot more speed and right. for a lot of really cool um, visual perspective stuff, because from yeah. afar. From uh, and what does the admiral say? From uh, from the in, in the reaches of space, there's no uh, you can't center yourself. Oh, she has this great poetic line. Right, I, f- I already forgot it though. But you know what I'm saying? It was like <laughs> yeah. um, you can find no center when you're in the reaches of space. But anyhow, something like from that. afar, uh, they look tiny. But then right. when they're slamming into the hull and they pierce through a corridor right. they're like these giant little and it's it's great as you know just sort of a terrifying image you're looking at afar you're seeing you can't see the individual ones from afar you can only see the cloud like locusts yeah. from afar is just this menacing black cloud that's approaching slowly um and then uh when you get close up you're looking at these individual ships that are you know kicking everybody's ass and it's great you've never there's never been a star trek enemy quite like that yeah um and and they and you know they mention it too you know spock has a great line like you know our, our weapons are not designed for this type of enemy <laughs> what and they're you, like oh yeah they aren't are i, I want to ask you about sort of the emotional cores cores plural of the film right. which is the relationship uh, there's the spock bones stuff which yeah. i think is for longtime fans that's the star of the show it's so great everybody loves spock bones and and you gotta love spock bones because yeah. they're, they're they're the best frenemies in in the 23rd century <laughs> um and and they're great you know that's the kind of um the the classic relationship that you see he in, call, in he tos call, he calls him leonard i don't think in in in, his, in on the show that he ever called leonard before i i don't know that's a in, in like interesting a, in point. a friendly caring love he's like leonard he almost was like leonard I, you know that that i love you you know he almost it's almost like that i love the moment when spock is injured and near death and he's with bones and Bones makes a joke, and Spock actually laughs at it. Yeah, and and this is and this here's a testament to the the skill and the direction of of this movie is because that is a moment that could have easily been really alienating. And Spock laughing, that's ridiculous. Right, right, right. But the way that it's done is actually makes perfect sense, and it really works. Is a testament to. Uh, to what Zachary Quinto was doing and what uh, I think the writer and director were doing. And it's been that, est- the, that, that moment lands perfectly. And it's been established by now. That's like, yeah, yeah, this guy has emotions. It's just that he, right. well, he's, he's half, his thing. He's half human. What, and the other sort of, uh, uh, you know, everybody's sort of uh, 
in the story, there's a lot of like uh, people break off into pairs, and right. then the I really love the relationship between Jayla and uh, Scotty. Jayla really is funny. great. Yeah, she is great. She's a cool new character. Yeah, I like her a lot, and uh, um, she she was really interesting. I love. You know, I, there, there's kind of a classic trope of like, you know, the real uh, scrappy female character who's always going to surprise you in the next scene. Yeah. Um, and that can get, if you do it wrong, it can get a little tiresome and predictable. Uh, but Jayla was not like that at all. She was great all the way through. She had fantastic ideas. Um, and she was, there are always, there's always been Star Trek characters that were kind of along for the ride. And it's great when there's someone new who actually really becomes part of the mission and is actually Yeah, she's helpful. incorporated well. Like, her, her ideas are incorporated and she's quickly part of the team, you know? It's right. pretty nifty. Um, nope. And that's great because there, there are a lot of throwaway characters in the history of Star Trek that are... Oh, like, like Carol Marcus from Star Trek Into Darkness, who, <laughs> who it's implied is she's staying on the ship and then she just disappears. And then that cool... Uh, I think her name is but she, has a, she has a scene at the end, at least, when she gets winked at by Kirk. Yeah, but she's not in this movie at all. No. And then... Because uh, the, she, she would have nothing to do. And the cool science officer, 0718, the cyborg dude with the bald head, <laughs> right. who I really wanted to see again. He just vanishes. But that's okay. Now, the other big, big, big emotional moment, and this is something that I didn't... You know, we did another podcast episode um, where we reviewed the film with some other critics, and right. although I said it's spoiler zone, you can say what you want, it didn't come up au naturel, and I didn't force it, but I'm going to talk about it with you, which I think is the most emotional moment that I'm going to have in a movie theater this year, which was seeing the photograph Yes. of... Did that take you by surprise? That w yes, it did, and that was a fantastic moment. Yeah, really smart, um, I think. Really and, great. And, you know, the, uh, it reminded me of, in the first two movies, every time Nimoy shows up, the audience claps. Right. Right. And we, so, you know, we saw this with a, a room full of Star Trek, an IMAX theater full of Star Trek fans. They've obviously, the vast majority of them have seen the first two movies already, so then you know that Nimoy shows up. Still and still, yeah. and still, everybody claps when they show up. Um, and when this thing came out, I don't know how much you want to say about it, if you want to make it only a semi-spoiler. Semi-spoiler, But this, okay. you know, a really lovely third act kind of moment with Spock, and this thing comes out, and it was by far, of course this was a new movie to everybody, but it was still a much stronger reaction, um, and a wonderful reaction in the room. It's, um, I didn't see it coming, and it really touched me the first time and it touched me the and, second time and it's and so it's it's so brilliant an idea i never yeah. would have thought of doing that yeah yeah because um, we already knew that nimoy was on board but like seeing deforest kelly and and right and jimmy Dewan is like oh yeah that's there they are you know it's it's all part of the thing it's very it's very it's very sweet it really is now um we're talking about only the good things uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that annoy us. But you know what? I'm going to sure. hit pause before we do. Let's take a moment to bask in the glory of all the things we liked about it. And then we can gripe and grief a little bit in just a second. Okay. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. And we're back. So it's a big love-in for Star Trek Beyond right now because we're still high from seeing it. But... um. 
I, you know, I, although I, it's the best thing that's happened to me in 2016. There's still, <laughs> there are still some things that aren't perfect. Um, my beef is, uh, I do get what crawl wants, but it's kind of because I've seen movies before, right. you know, I, yeah. I know what it's, he's going for. And it's always tough when there's a villain who basically wants to destroy the world. Yeah. He's you know, like space a, I, ISIS. Right. He's, and he's know, just a nasty guy you who get doesn't it like unity. If the but, bad guy wants to steal the treasure or something like that. But when the bad guy is basically a genocidal maniac, you have to start from the premise that, okay, this guy went mad. Um, so why? Why is he crazy? And because like, you, you can't, there's not a lot, there's not going to be a logical reason for someone wanting to destroy the world. They have to be a crazy person. Right, right. So then the motivation for that has to come from their backstory. All right, so what was it that drove this guy insane? And I, th- and I think he has an interesting backstory. You it's know, a little hazy. We never, yeah. It's a little hazy. We know that he was a Mako. Uh, which is cool. Which is, is very cool. A nice nod <laughs> and he's to fought the Zindi there. War. He fought the and, Zindi War. Yeah, That's and great. so so this guy's a soldier from you know back before Starfleet when there actually was a, an Earth military, um, and he gets sort of uh, he gets made obsolete, right? And he gets pushed into this role is sort of semi-military, but not really. We're not expecting you to fight unless you have to. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't really know how to do it. He doesn't know what his place in the world any, is anymore. And then. Uh, unjustifiably, he feels abandoned, and then what ends up happening to him, and I won't give it all completely away, sort of pushes him over the edge. Um, there is, and so since we're sort of getting into the complaints of it right now, um, just purely from a filmmaking perspective, I thought the transition that Crawl has from his alien looking skin yeah. to when he's just Idris Elba. Um, didn't, I feel like there's something it, it, let it left out. Something's felt left out, and it and you know I could follow it uh, because there's there's some exposition dialogue that I was paying attention to. It's very easy to miss that this is the same guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the and I didn't quite understand. I sort of understood that he had some alien technology that was keeping him alive by sucking the life out of his prisoners. Um, but I, I didn't quite understand how that tied into the Which rest of it. Which is very original series, isn't it? And it it's that a is, salt vampire, you know? Is, yeah. Soul it, vampire. It is, it is a very TOS thing. And, um, well, I, I mean, they've done similar ideas in, in the other shows, too, I think. Um, it didn't see... I, it's, it seemed kind of out of place. And I don't, I don't quite understand how that technology sort of resulted in his body transforming yeah. and then and then becoming human again. I mean, he just said I, I they, have, they have the technology to extend life, but it also right. makes you a lizard man. I mean, yeah, something he like left that. that part out. I, and I didn't get it. And, you know, of course, the reason he's a lizard man is because we're not supposed to know that he's a human until the big reveal Right, comes. why he has to change his name, we don't know either. Right, I but, mean, uh, you know, put him in a suit or something so you don't <laughs> see his face. That would have done it just fine. Um, so I, and, and I don't know if there was stuff that was cut that would have made that more sense. Um, and the other big complaint I have is, is the first act, blow up the Enterprise battle, just goes on and on and on too long. It's a little long. And I think there's, there's a lot happening during this battle, but I feel like it could have been 10 minutes shorter. I, you know what's... And, but yeah, go ahead, go and ahead. Also, part of that might have just been, you know, it's the beginning of the movie and my eyes are still adjusting to the 3D. 
and we're at the IMAX in the second row, and you know, it's very, it's very loud. We're in the second row, sitting directly in front of the subwoofer, and every time something blows up, right. you know, it's blowing you back. Well, you, you, so maybe there's just a little fatigue there that you would not get watching this in a normal theater or, or at home. Um, but even so, I did. I felt myself getting kind of worn out with this battle. Uh, you know, it felt like I was watching like Saving Private Ryan instead of Star Trek. <laughs> and I'm it, like, okay, you're blowing up the ship. I mean, it, t- it takes 20 minutes to blow up the ship. It, it, and that's well, it's a big the, ship. It's, a, yeah. it's a, lots of good defenses. I, I, I like that sequence. I will say, though. It, I mean, I, it was wonderfully done. Everything about it was. The use of gravity was good. They're, they're yeah, walking on the walls. But they right. do that in Into Darkness also, which that's I kind true. of forgot. And I, and I loved I loved the gravity sequences in, in yeah, Into Darkness. Yeah, those might actually be a little bit better. And I, I love, you know, because it, it took the movies to really get to the point where you stop uh, pretending that there's gravity in space. Right. You know, because right. I, think, I think it was Undiscovered Country was the first time we ever see the gravity generator fail right, right. On, on the Klingon ship, right? And you have the, like, the cool pink yeah, the the glob, globules of blood and stuff. Purple blood, yeah. And then, but then, you know, you forget about that because um, it's expensive to do those effects. But I loved, I loved the gravity stuff in Into Darkness. Um, and they do it a little bit here on the ship, but they also do great stuff with gravity on on the Yorktown station. But the the battle scene in this movie that I thought went on a little too long. I think the first one's okay, so I disagree yeah. with you there. Okay. But it's the second one, because they go back to the Enterprise when it's like totally busted down, right. and then the saucer flips over. I Ooh, feel like that And that was... reminds me, I loved kind of the callback when the saucer crashes. It's the same shot from Generations sure. when the Enterprise yeah. D saucer yeah, crashes. Yeah. And Data yells, "Oh shit!" Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. I thought that was an—I don't know if that was an intentional callback, but it looked—it uh, no, looked, it looked it, like exactly the I, same shot, which I let's liked. put it this way: they were aware. They—they've yeah. done their homework. Uh, Simon Pegg has done his homework, definitely. But um, I just feel like that's the second. Uh, there are a lot of action sequences. The movie's mostly action, right? And of all the action sequences, it's that second one, which is kind of in the dark because it, it just feels like they're going backwards. And I know why they do it. They have right. to go get the radio they beacon, to, and they, they got to they get the, the fake thing. the girl out to get the yeah. little MacGuffin and whatnot. But um, the doodad, the doodad. But it just sort of strikes me as it, it's just uh, it, they could have done that without leaving the ship first. Is the thing? Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe that's what they because you know done. they kind of crash, they leave, then they go back, they get the doodad. Uh, yeah, Kirk and Kirk and um, Chekhov should have just stayed. Yeah. Because they, they leave and then they just walk there. Right. Like they don't do anything else. I think they, they like beamed out to, to random places or something. They have the scene with the... Oh, no, they were in, they were in escape pods. And they, yeah, they, they all were, landed but, in different but places. But Scotty could have still done the escape pod because he's yeah. got a great... A Kelvin pod, they call him. He, he has a great Kelvin pod moment. But you know what you do see? And I think this is the best use of it ever in Star Trek. Red Alert... The best use of the universal translator. Yes. Yeah. And I had meant to mention this. So we actually see, for the first time, a universal translator that makes sense. It really does. But we don't hear it from her point of view. Right. We hear. We have to assume it's just the same in reverse. Right. And so we see this alien woman speaking her language uh, with a universal translator device that is then speaking English to us. Yes. Yeah, like on her lapel. Right. Um, and, you know, the, and... For for the entire history, for 50 years, it's always been hand-waving that, well, of course, the Klingons are speaking Klingon, but there's a universal right. translator. Right, right. Well, so, so why do their lips say English words? Right, no, it's never quite... And it's, like, and it's like, all right, it's just, it's storytelling, it's it's a right. conceit, get over it. And it was, it was night. I thought it was fantastic and lovely that they were able to uh, really make it make sense at this point um, and, and do the audio so it's not distracting. Um, and so, you know, you hear the English dialogue and, uh, 
And it was great. And of course, you know, it takes... You can't really do that in a TV show for, no, ob- no, for no. obvious reasons. You've got to invent the language. The, sure. The actor has to remember all the fake words and stuff. It takes time to do that kind of thing. It's one of a, it's one of a number of little niceties that are in this but yeah, film. I thought, th- I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful thing, the way they handled it. And it would have been so easy to just do it the way they've been doing it for 50 years. Yeah. And they said, no, let's actually let's do this one yeah, right are, for once. There once. are a lot of like little clever beats. Like I, I noticed this, this time when the closing credits, uh, the closing credits are the font kind of resembles the TNG uh, Yeah, font. it looked like the, the early TNG credits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is nice. No, what did you think about the Beastie Boys? I love, first of all, I, do you think it's going to piss people off? I, I don't think... I mean, first of all, I love the Beastie Boys. Um, so, you know, obviously they should be popular in the 23rd century. <laughs> I, so, I, I mean, I, you know, I loved that moment in in the first one with little kid Kirk stealing the car. Yeah. And, and playing the Beastie Boys and um, I don't know if he's playing the Beastie Boys or that was just the soundtrack. Um, I think the implication is that he's playing it in the car. Right. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah, he was playing it because he does say good choice when yeah, Leonard no, plays yeah. the Beastie Boys. So his he obviously favorite, knows yeah. the song. Um, I thought s- some of the editing with the swarm battle and the Beastie Boys was maybe a little too cute. It's you ridiculous know, and it's when, silly, but... I- but, but it's it's fun and it's I, enjoyable. I think it kind of works. And I think it kind of works. It's I like think Mad it's, Max Fury Road kind of yeah, works. I think, it, I think for Star Trek, it was just a tiny, tiny bit over the top. But I don't care because the rest of it is great. Well, I will... Yes, it's the dumbest thing in all of Star Trek. Yeah. But it's also pretty great. They, well, that, I don't know. In Star Trek V, they met God. No, that was the, pretty but dumb. this is ridiculous. Because they, <laughs> they beam the Beastie Boys to the Yorktown and the Yorktown blasts it out. <laughs> right. And it's just the beat where they all go... Whoa! Yeah, and it's and like everything a, blows up, a and that, wall of fire and that, explodes. That was and, exactly the moment when I was like, "Okay," but I only cared about it for about half a second. Well, and I, I was like, that yes, was, that was pretty cool. My mind split in two, and mo- the dominant part of my mind was like, "This is the greatest thing ever," <laughs> right. and the recessive part of mine was like, "There are some Star Trek fans that are just gonna drop dead of a heart attack right yeah. now." Yeah, so but, but they're no fun, those people. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, hey, you know, yeah. it's a movie. Exactly. Chill out a little bit. Enjoy it. So listen, we got to wrap it up here soon, but um, it's funny because, and as I mentioned on the last episode, I even said, well, this is the last time we're going to see these characters on the big screen, and maybe the last time we see Kirk Spock Mons. Now it looks like they're going to make a fourth movie. And that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's going to involve, allegedly, Chris Hemsworth as George Kirk, either through time travel or a wormhole or something. Interesting is going to be so it's going to be Kirk and Thor. Thor Trek. Thor Trek, and I think that they're going to be a great kind of father son bromance thing happening. I think it could be really cool. That is very interesting. Um, I'm going now that this is on record. <laughs> when the actual movie comes out and it's completely different, I'm going to make fun of it. Right? No, I mean this is what they say is happening. It will be sad though. I got to say, having now watched three Star Trek movies in one sitting. Anton Yelchin is really going to be missed. Oh, his, his checkoff is such... He was so fantastic. Every really single great. line. He, yeah, he just kills it. He's just terrific. And it's um, it's, a, it's just a tragedy that he's... Victor, Victor, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this movie... As good or better than nuclear vessels. Really is. It really is. And um, he was fantastic. It was just so sad and... and sudden and, and ridiculous and they had, a, they had a nice dedication for him at the end yeah yeah which of course they would but it was nice and, and there's that moment at the end when they sort of are giving a toast and there's a reaction shot of him which I suspect was probably edited in yeah maybe later um, 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a, it's it's really sad. So they'll do the fourth one, and and you know there'll be no checkoff, and they'll have to figure out why there's no checkoff. But I think right. that's the right thing to do. I think yeah. to replace the actor. No, yeah, I mean you, you can't you can't replace a guy like Anton Yelchin because yeah. then I mean everybody everybody would be comparing him the way that they are comparing Anton Yelchin to uh, to every other checkoff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, you know, he he had two really good movies and killed it and defined the role. Yeah, and um, or three three good movies actually, and uh, and you know, it sucks. Yeah, it was, but we don't want to leave it on a depressing note. We want to leave it on Star Trek Beyond. Is twenty sixteen has been a bit of a shitty year. This is the only good thing, the only universal good thing. No, I won't say that, but it really is a lot of fun. I liked it. I liked it just as much the second time. I was not bored I, for an instant. It's very, very rare that the third movie of anything is that good. Um, and you know, and I liked it. I liked it better than the first two, which is unheard of yeah. in movie franchises. Um, so yeah, I got I got no complaints. See Star Trek Beyond at a theater near you. <laughs> Awesome. And I can't wait till the Blu-ray comes out and we can find all these missing scenes that we've been talking yes. about with Crawl. And figure out what <laughs> happened with that guy. Awesome. Frito, thank you so much for spending the day with me, the day into the oh, night. Oh, man. It was my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me on, on your on show. Engage. Which has hosted such luminaries as, as uh, Adam Nimoy and Weird Josh Al. Horowitz and Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Josh Horowitz. Yankovic. And now here's, here's this schmuck from Brooklyn. <laughs> Who doesn't know about anything? No, this is, no. You were the guy to come with. This is great. A lot of fun. I, it was as uh, an absolute blast, and thank you for inviting me. All right, and we'll see you all next week. So long, and live long and prosper. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.